The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. on Wall Street, and here is your top five at five. Holy turnaround, Batman. Stocks ending the month with a monster comeback. The Nasdaq avoided doing something even worse than in the financial crisis. Tech topping the focus again as Google sets it to roll out some big numbers but will they be big enough to keep this mini rally going? Tesla CEO Elon Musk and the automaker's biggest fans are furious at the White House today. We'll tell you why. Well, you may have tried the game. You have definitely seen friends brag about their scores. So wait until you hear who is getting on in the Wordle craze. And one well-known pizza chain has a new solution to America's jobs problem. Hey, you to skip the delivery. It is Tuesday, February 1st, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. Happy Tuesday. I'm Brian Sullivan. Glad to have you with us here. All right, let's go. We got a lot to do. Here's how your money in the global markets are setting up their day. Futures right now, they're looking okay. Not going to make too much of them. Well, you know what? You know why I don't make too much of them? Because at this hour, one guy hits a button and things turn. That's exactly what happened. Fair values up, overall numbers slightly down. Literally, I looked 30 seconds ago and they were in the green. Maybe that's sort of endemic, a bad word these days. Maybe that's representative, perhaps, of how the market is going to go today. Either way, we were in the green moments ago, slightly in the red now. Flip a coin at this point. All right. If you took yesterday off and missed it, it was an absolute stunning turn for the major averages. The last two sessions in particular, the NASDAQ and the NASDAQ 100 on Monday, posting better than 3% gains. And that move did something remarkable, which is something we'll tell you about in just a couple of minutes. We call that a tease on television. All right. Oil staying elevated ahead of tomorrow's OPEC meeting. You also got Exxon's earnings out this morning. By the way, the Exxon numbers likely if forecasts are right, going to be some of the best quarterly numbers in years. Oil shows down, but still above 87. On the crypto side as well, they've come back a bit, along with tech stocks and other stocks, the last couple of sessions, Friday and Monday as well. And we'll get more on crypto. And by the way, the markets in general, we're joined by our friend Mark Yusko. Coming up in a few minutes here, you can see Bitcoin is down. The rest are slightly higher. All right. That's what's happening here. Let's find out what's happening around the world. Juliana Tattlebaum is in our London newsroom. Juliana. Brian, good morning. Well, European equity investors seem to be taking their cue from what you saw on Wall Street yesterday. We've got green across the board here in Europe. All the major indices are trading higher. We're about eight-tenths of a percent higher for the French market, seven-tenths over in Germany. We've got the Italian market uh, leading the way alongside Spain, about one percent higher apiece. Here in the U.K., FTSE 100 up seven-tenths of a percent. So a broad-based rally today, extending yesterday's gains. The stock 600 put in a pretty decent performance, rallying about seven-tenths of a percent. 
1.4% yesterday. From a sector perspective, this is what the picture looks like. We've got uh, every sector trading higher with the exception of telecoms down about three-tenths of a percent. Out in front, financial services 2.4% higher. And there is one stock in focus there, and that is UBS. The company has announced a slew of ambitious new financial targets after reporting a 14% rise in full-year net profit well ahead of the bank's own expectations. The Swiss lender will aim to increase its assets under management to at least $6 trillion and said it will nearly double last year's share buybacks to $5 billion this year. Uh, The CEO is also focused on the inflation and interest rate outlook. Take a listen. Longer term, um, what we do see is inflation coming through. Um, uh, That has a couple of effects on our business. Clearly, it has an increased effect on our costs, on the wages. But on the other side, it will also lead to higher interest rates, which will give us tailwind in order to increase our uh, uh, interest income. Um, And also, if there is a higher inflation, more investors are looking for more alternatives And we are perfectly set up to deliver the alternative investment opportunities. That's what we do. Brian, UBS is the best performing stock this morning in the stock 600. Shares up 6.5%. Back over to you. Big day for a big bank. Juliana Tatabom, appreciate it. Have a great one. All right, now to this morning's top headlines and corporate stories, including what Goldman Sachs thinks may happen tomorrow at the OPEC meeting that maybe, just maybe, could bring down some of these gasoline costs. Silvana Hanau joining us now with those headlines. Good morning, Silvana. Good morning and happy Tuesday to you, Brian. Well, Goldman Sachs is boosting its outlook for a ramp up in OPEC crude production ahead of the group's ministerial meeting. In a new note led by Goldman's Jeff Curry, the bank says OPEC and its allies may announce a bigger than expected rise in output as concern grows around hawkish central bank sentiment. Still, Goldman Sachs maintains its bullish view for crude in 2022, saying the rapid decline in COVID and initial earnings from U.S. producers, quote, all reinforce our conviction in the need for sharply higher prices. India is rolling out plans to tax profits from crypto. In a speech earlier today, the country's finance minister said income from any virtual asset will be taxed at 30 percent. The move comes as India's central bank prepares to roll out its own digital currency this April. And a damning new report out from global mining giant Rio Tinto detailing a culture of bullying, harassment and racism, including 21 complaints of actual or attempted rape and or sexual assault over the past five years. The company launched the review in March of last year. More than a quarter of its workforce shared their views in the study. Rio Tinto says it will implement all recommendations from the report to combat what it now sees as systemic issues. Some very serious complaints there, Brian. One of the world's biggest mining companies clearly has a lot of introspection and a lot of work to do based on that. That is a terrifying report. Silvana, thank you very much. You got it. Wow. All right. Let's get back down to the markets. And after a rough start to the year, we can be set for a rather violent rally in February. So says Fundstrat's Tom Lee. On Fast Money last night, Lee says several contrarian signals are now at levels that would suggest a strong buy signal. When institutional investors are cautious, retail basically priced in a bear market and their sentiments the worst in eight years, uh, you could have a huge rally. And as we've written before, recoveries from a fast sell-offs actually typically are symmetric, meaning you should expect a violent rally. 
Of course, Tom has been bullish the whole way through, and he remains bullish. So let's talk more now about this and the macro markets and your money as the dismal month of January, thankfully, is finally behind us with Bill Stone, Chief Investment Officer at Glenview Trust Company. Bill, welcome back. Are you as optimistic as Tom Lee is? Well, I mean, I'd say I'm relatively optimistic because, you know, the fact is the numbers just say if you're down 10 percent, Odds are on your side that you'll get actually above average returns over the next year, uh, and you'll actually have a gain 76% of the time over the next year. Now, average kind of intra-year declines are about 15%, so could we go down further than we saw on Thursday? Uh, Last Thursday, we certainly could, Um, and if we go into recession, it probably gets even worse. But again, I think you have to look at where we are right now. And I also would say I think he's right on in terms of I think they really hit these growth stocks a, a bit too hard. Um, so, And you've already started to see, obviously, a very strong rally in some of those names. Yeah, I mean, listen, and we've talked about it on this show a lot about market structure and options and gamma. And I kind of said it wasn't the Fed. There was an article in Bloomberg yesterday that really last month's volatility probably was more to do with options and gamma hedging. We're not bragging. We're simply saying you don't get that kind of violent move because the Fed may pull forward an interest rate hike by one meeting or whatever it may be. What do you think right now, though, Bill, then, is the biggest risk? Is it the Fed? Is it Russia? Is it options? Is it something we haven't even talked about? I mean, I think it remains the Fed in the sense that, you know, they are in a place they haven't been in quite a while, which is inflation is high enough. They're essentially forced to raise rates, right? Um, I mean, I think everybody says, hey, even if the payroll number is bad on Friday, they're going to raise rates in in March. And, you know, markets not pricing in five hikes this year. Is it are they in the place where they are forced to hike enough that they smother the economy? And I think that's part of what's getting priced in here a little bit in, in terms of some of the volatility. And while I think, again, I'm bullish and I think we'll, we'll do fine by the end of the year, I, I think you better keep your seatbelts on because. Uh, I I think that some of that's going to continue to hang over us for a while. My guess is you're going to say we should not start pricing in for a recession this year, maybe not early next year. But at some point, do we have your clients who are thinking long term have to start slowly adjusting for the idea that this economy is going to slow down and that history suggests that there will be a recession or could be a recession in the next couple of years. And we need to start planning for that because the markets do go down big during recessions. Yeah. And I think, you know, no doubt, right? I mean, history, it's, we're not going to end recession. So, you know, you're going to get one at some point. I don't think you're right. I don't think we're going to get one this year. Clearly we're going to slow here in the first quarter. Um, But I would say, I think that the underlying key is, uh, and part of, I think is what's going on in the market now is you've got to upgrade quality so that you're in companies that can make it through the chasm if we do, in fact, or when we do, in fact, eventually go into recession. That also tends to match up quite nicely with what tends to perform quite well when you're in a Fed hiking cycle, probably for good reason, because of exactly what I laid out, that that's always the fear, right, is that the Fed takes it too far yep. or is forced to take it too far. So with that said, what's our best mix of stock investments right now? Or is it something outside of stocks? No, I mean, I think stocks give you the best chance to outstrip inflation, which is what you're really trying to do, right? Uh, You're trying to keep your purchasing power, better yet, grow it. So 
So I think, you know, at the very moment, I think the growth side looks a little bit more interesting. So, you know, we've been adding to some PayPal, Starbucks. I mentioned those in particular because they actually report earnings tonight. Um, but again, I think you've got PayPal's like over 40% off its high. Starbucks is something like 20% off its high. And, and again, I think you're talking high quality companies with earnings that, again, will make it through and have some, you know, really great long-term growth opportunities. Yeah, Starbucks being hit by higher coffee input costs due to droughts in Brazil, but I know the weather never stays the same, and maybe Starbucks will turn around as well. Bill Stone, Glenview Trust. Bill, always a pleasure to have you on. Have a great day, my friend. Take care. Happy, Happy February, by the way. All right, when we come back, why today's Google earnings could be a bit of a game changer for tech stocks. Plus, your morning RBI and what may actually be the most important piece of economic data this week, and it is not Friday's jobs number. Hmm. The first we had to break, check out this morning, some of this morning's top pre-market movers anyway. We've got some stocks on the move. We've got a very busy hour still ahead. Futures mildly negative. We are just getting started. Grab a cup of coffee. Get on the treadmill. We're back right after that. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, welcome or welcome back and good Tuesday morning, by the way. There's a live look at Times Square, no doubt. Joe and maybe some of the Squawk Gang are getting ready. By the way, it has just been spectacularly cold here on the East Coast. We know it's happening again in, in Texas as well, so if you're outside, bundle up as well. And it will, at some point in time, get warmer. All right, well, today's earnings update is brought to you by the letter A. For Alphabet, because the parent company of Google set to roll out their numbers tonight. The earnings come at an important time as nerves around tech growth, they're high. So let's find out what some of the key numbers are to watch. And welcome in Dan Ives, Managing Director of Equity Research at Wedbush Securities. Uh, Dan, good morning. Great to have you on. What do you think the keys are for Google slash Alphabet tonight? Well, I think the key is really going to be digital advertising. You need to see probably about a one to 200 bit beat over the street. And then you look at Google Cloud. I mean, if you think about the story right now that's playing out, strong from Microsoft, I think it'll be strong for Amazon. You need to see that on a run rate toward 20 billion as we go into 2022. I think this will fill in missing pieces. Bullish tech earnings season, it continues tonight. Significant in terms of what we're seeing in this white knuckle environment. Yeah, is there anything that Google can say that sort of changes the game around how we should perceive the company right now? Is there, do you expect any big surprise or just going to be sort of the nuances of, you know, slight percentage growth changes in their various businesses? And by say various businesses, I mean search because that's pretty much their, their, their only business. 
Look, I think the biggest thing is really digital advertising. You talk about some nervousness in the street. It's is there a pull forward in this environment? And, And you think about what we're seeing across tech. Last week, you got pillars of strength from Apple, from Microsoft. You need to hear from Google on digital advertising. But, Brian, I think a big thing is going to be cloud. I mean, Google is re- – that is fast becoming a number three cloud player. That could start to be a re-rating in the stock. And further, you know, what I believe is going to be a Joe Burrow-like earnings season for the tech sector. Ha! Comparing Google Cloud to the Bengals, I like it. Maybe surprising everybody to the upside. How close are they to Amazon Web Services and Microsoft's Azure? So they're number three, but like you could be number three way down here, or you could be number three and close it in quick. Yeah, there's still 20, 30% of where Microsoft and uh, Amazon are. But this is important. There's going to be a lot of winners in this. We're talking about $2 trillion that's going to be spent over the next five to six years. And, and I think what's important in this tech sector is the bifurcation. The work from home names, the e-commerce names, you'll see pull forwards, and those multiples will compress. But what we're seeing last week and this week, and I think that's why the tech sector continues to move higher, supply chain will be an issue, but the fundamentals are robust accelerating as part of this fourth industrial revolution. That's what you're going to see from Alphabet tonight. You know, I think it continues the good news in tech. You know, stock is back to the levels it was back in, in July. I understand the entire tech you know, sector has come down, but overall, then the stock is hasn't made investors any money in basically six or seven months. It got up near three thousand and then failed. Talk to us about the longer term outlook for Google, and also, Dan, do you think that that three thousand a share number again means anything, or just kind of a nice round number for us of the media? Does it hold any tech- technical significance? Do you think? I think it has some significance in ter- from a perception standpoint. No different when Apple went through three trillion and then came back. Look, I think digital advertising street needs to be convinced on, you know, on the growth rate as well as some of those Apple iOS changes, which has been a headwind to Google. I think more of a headwind to Facebook. But but I think this is something where it's been sort of stuck in a treadmill as a stock. I think 2022 is going to be a strong year for Alphabet. And I think what you're going to start to see is bifurcation, especially on that cloud piece. That could be a re-rating similar to what we've seen on that piece of the business, like Microsoft. And I think even what you're seeing with IBM finally starting to gain some mojo on cloud, it just shows there's going to be a lot of winners in this just massive transformation that we're seeing in the cloud, Google front and center. Dan Ives, Wedbush Securities, Google out tonight. We know you got a long day, my friend, so thank you very much for joining us here on Worldwide Exchange. We'll let you grab a cup of coffee or tea or whatever it is. Dan, take care. Thank you. All right, coming up, attention, parents of young kids. Some new info on the way about when children under five may be able to get their COVID shots if you want them to. Today's big number, $729 billion. That's how much the Treasury Department expects to borrow in the first quarter. That's up more than 50% from the prior estimate in November. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? 
AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. All right, welcome back. It is time now for some of your big money movers. Three key stock stories that are happening right now. Let's go. Stock number one is NXP Semiconductors. It is higher in the pre-market this morning after topping estimates for its most recent quarter, also announcing a 50% quarterly dividend hike. Story number two are actually two stocks. That is Pfizer and BioNTech. They are reportedly expected to submit an emergency use authorization request for a COVID-19 vaccine designed for use in kids six months to five years old, according to the Washington Post. Once submitted, the vaccine would be ready for rollout as soon as the end of the month. And stock three, Cirrus Logic, lower in the free market after initially popping more than 10%, the company topping estimates and offering upbeat guidance as well. All right, let's get a check down some of this morning's news outside of the world of money and business. For that, we go to NBC's Philip Mena is in New York. Philip, good morning. Hi, Brian. Good morning. Uh, a growing showdown over Russia's military buildup near Ukraine. Secretary of State Antony Blinken is scheduled to talk this morning with his Russian counterpart about proposals to de-escalate the crisis. But one ominous sign is that Russia has now sent blood supplies they would need in an invasion to its troops on the border. Russia's ambassador accuses the U.S. of trying to, quote, whip up hysterics. Several HBCUs across the nation were on high alert on Monday after they received bomb threats just before the start of Black History Month. At least six historically black colleges, including Howard University in Washington, D.C., and Albany State University in Georgia, received these threats, which prompted temporary lockdowns and police investigations. This was Howard's second bomb threat this month. And it's time to say goodbye to the ox and welcome to the year of the tiger. Today is the Lunar New Year. And athletes from around the world are getting to celebrate the spring festival in China as they prepare for the winter games. This is a major holiday for many countries across Asia. In China, the celebrations last for 15 days. That's it from here, Brian. I'll send it back to you. All right, good luck to everybody there, including the Winter Olympics. Like you said, kick it off in a few days. Philomena, thank you very much. All right. All right, coming up, why our next guest says that Wall Street is getting the Fed story wrong. Investor Mark Yuska will join us with his argument. We'll talk stocks. We'll talk the Fed, probably a little crypto as well. Mark, coming up in a few minutes, always a can't-miss interview. And if you have not already, be sure to follow our podcast so you don't miss the show ever. Check it out any time of day. Walk around the house like I do with headphones on to avoid the dogs and the kids. We're back right after this. What a comeback. Futures may be down a bit right now, but do you realize what the NASDAQ just did to wrap up January? A household name just bought viral game Wordle. I'll tell you who. And Land Rush, are you ready to buy property in the metaverse? If you want to play, you're going to have to pay big time. Some new numbers there. It is February 1st, and this is Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC.
All right, welcome or welcome back, everybody, and good Tuesday morning. By the way, welcome to February. How long was January? It was like 52 days long. I mean, that was just a brutal month. By the way, be careful out there if you're in the Northeast. It's like five degrees right now. Things can only look up. All right, let's get right back out of the markets and your money and see if they are looking up after what's been a nice little rally on Friday and Monday. We are seeing futures right now down just a touch, but again, fair value's up, so flip a coin if you want to know which way the market's going to go today. I'm just being honest. Now, if you remember this time, you know, 24 hours ago, going into yesterday's session, we told you, we looked you in the eye, and we said the NASDAQ was on pace for its worst January ever. In fact, it, I mean, it was. It was more than 2% worse than the next worst start to a year, which was back in 2008 in the financial crisis. So no way that the NASDAQ doesn't set some kind of terrible new January record, right? Wrong. With the more than 3% jump higher Monday, the NASDAQ can now say that 2022 was not its worst start to a year ever. Here's actually where we wrapped up. The NASDAQ lost just under 9% in January. Still a terrible month, not making light of it, but it was about a percent less than it lost in 2008. So I guess there's a little good news in what was a hard month overall. And here's the thing. We don't want to scare you. But in 2008, the NASDAQ went on to lose about 40%, not 14%, 40%. Obviously, a very different time with the financial crisis still. Bad Januaries have had some bad effects. We'll see how that goes. All right. Outside of stocks, how about looking at this little nugget? Palladium. Yes, palladium. It's not an accident we're showing it to you. We're showing it to you for two reasons. Number one, it just had its best month since 2016. Palladium, mostly known for things like catalytic converters, is now being used in tests for new types of batteries for EVs. And two, <clears throat> a big year for palladium was, yes, one of my 2022 predictions. So maybe just some straight-up bragging. It's early, but it's off to a good start. Palladium, who knew? All right, now let's get some more of these corporate stories, including Tesla fans wondering why they can't seem to get any kind of love at all from the White House. Silvana Hanau is here now with those and more. Silvana. Good morning, Brian. Well, some of Tesla's most loyal fans say the White House is unfairly snubbing the company in favor of Ford and GM when it comes to electric vehicle subsidies and climate change. To make their voices heard, more than 33,000 people have signed a petition at change.org asking President Biden to acknowledge Elon Musk's leadership in the space. Tesla devotees have been pressuring the White House for nearly a year, but the petition marks the first large-scale public effort to express those opinions. Turning to Spotify and the massive stock price surge yesterday, the stock closing up more than 13 percent after podcast host Joe Rogan apologized for his show's role in spreading vaccine disinformation, saying, quote, it got out of control, adding he supports legal disclaimers before any conversation regarding COVID-19 vaccines on his show. And the New York Times is buying online viral gaming hit Wordle for a price in the, in the, quote, low seven figures. According to the Times, founded in 2021, the game gives players six tries to guess a five-letter mystery word every day and became a cultural phenomenon earlier this month with people sharing their scores in the form of emojis. Only 90 people played the game on November 1st, according to the Times, about 300,000 people were playing as of mid-January, a number now expected to be in the millions. New York Times shares this morning, 
a little, I think they were lower uh, last I checked um, before in the pre-market. So, Brian, I don't know if you've played Wordle, but I haven't yet, so I'm going to have to give it a try. Play it every day. I, I've already, I already did it this morning. I I've already I got played. the word. I'm not going to ruin it for. Uh, it's a, it's a bragging rights in our house. We send it out to oh, our wow. friends. It's kind of like a thing. All right. Yeah, it's a, I'm gonna, it's I'm interesting. Try it. I am going to try. I'm going to have to give it a try. I actually did it. I'm not going to give up the word. I actually did it. <laughs> if anybody needs proof at this age, I'll, I'll send it out. But these are interesting times. Savannah, thank you very much. You got it. Wordle, made by Josh Wardle. All right, now to our market newsmaker of the morning. Yusko could be a good starting word for Wordle. Mark Yusko is CEO and CIO at Morgan Creek Capital Management. I got a couple of vowels in there. I get rid of the Y. Mark, welcome back. It's good to have you on. Sully, I might have to try it and see if they put it in the in the uh, preferred words. I've tried hokey. I've tried everything. All right, let's get into it. People, do, I want to. They don't want to know about the wordle of the of the day. I want to talk about. I know we'll probably hit crypto, but I want to talk about the equity markets because you had tweeted out something very. You always tweet out interesting stuff, but the other day you talked about the Fed. You did a podcast and you sort of half and tongue in cheek joked. I knew the Fed would send out their doves to message. I didn't realize it would be today, meaning a couple of days ago. The, the stock, Wall Street, Morgan Stanley, Goldman, they think we're going to get anywhere from four to seven rate hikes. Sounds like you think we're going to get less. Oh, I'll take the under all day, Brian. I, Me too. I'd be surprised, not if we got zero, but I think zero chance we get four to five. Uh, so Friday morning, I recorded this podcast. and We talked about how the, the Fed had gone from you know Jerome the Hawk to Jay the Dove uh, over the last few years, and the markets didn't didn't like this return to his hawkish nature. Uh, markets crashing all during January, and I thought that it wasn't going to be long before they sent out the other uh, Fed commissioners to start hinting that well maybe they didn't have to raise rates. And literally that afternoon. Kashkari was out saying, oh, well, you know, we could stop in, in the middle of, of the spring. So I think they're afraid and I think they're in a box. They really don't have any choice. They've had us in financial repression really since the global financial crisis. We've got emergency rates. There's no emergency anymore. Uh, we're not, as you said, we're not in the global financial crisis like we were in 08. But they've manipulated interest rates for so long. They've forgotten what it feels like to have a naturally functioning market. And that's and that's kind of the weird irony. And I and I don't want to rewrite history. OK, we go into the pandemic. We don't know what's going to happen. We didn't realize that millions of people are going to pass the days by online shopping and spark inflation in certain parts of the economy or millions of people decide they want to do something better with their lives and they quit or they move. We didn't know any of this then. We know it now. In retrospect, Seems like kind of a bad idea that the Fed bullied up its balance sheet so much, anticipating some kind of a crisis. And I think you're exactly right, Mark. How do they un forget about interest rates? How do they unwind that balance sheet? Yeah, look, who, who's going to buy all those bonds that they own? And this is no different than Japan. You know, Japan in 2008 said we're going to end QQE. They had an extra Q for qualitative and quantitative easing. Uh, they're still doing it. You know, crazy Croatian was was out in force last year, weakening the yen. You know, everybody thinks the dollar went up last year. It, it didn't. It just went down less. It actually fell versus the renminbi. It's just that the Bank of Japan printed more money 
than the ECB, than the U.S. And when governments get in huge debt, they can't afford to have higher rates. So we're going to be stuck in this financial repression for a very long time. It's why this morning we are launching a new ETF, CSH, uh, for investors to get some sort of yield on their cash. It's a really tough situation out there for savers. Well, congrats on the new ETF. What's in that? If this is it a cash equivalent? It's not a money fund, market fund, is it? Not is a money it market composed of crypto. What's what's in it? No, not crypto, not money market. It is actually SPACs. You own the SPAC before it despacs, so you don't own the post-merger combined entities. You own the SPAC, which is invested in a portfolio of treasuries. That's the nice thing about a SPAC. There's a lot of misinformation about, or misunderstanding, not misinformation, misunderstanding about SPACs. A SPAC is a blank check company. It's a pot of treasuries. You get those treasuries plus warrants on the company that it merges with eventually. So you, we hold the cash, we get paid the interest, then we hold the warrants and we sell the uh, security when they announce the deal. So we only hold pre-merger and then we get the warrants for the upside. And we've compounded in a hedge fund structure in the mid to high teens using leverage. This is an unlevered version we think will generate you know, mid to single, mid to high single digits uh, over the long term. Because SPACs, the stocks, Mark, many of them, as you know, have not ended up very well for investors. So you want to make it clear, this is not buying baskets of the stocks. This is the pool of money used prior to doing some kind of a deal. It's a very different thing. Very, and very important. The SPACs, there's a lot, like I said, it's misunderstanding. A SPAC is not a company. It is an, a pot of money that is used to do an initial public offering. The de-SPAC'd companies like Virgin Galactic or DraftKings, those companies, they'll do well or not do well the same way that Amazon or Google or, or other companies have done well or not done well. But those are companies. A SPAC is a trust of treasuries. And if you sell for that, you get your cash back, before the deal is announced, before the deal is consummated and the SPAC de-SPACs, uh, it's a great arbitrage. One of the last arbitrages left, kind of like merger arbitrage or convertible bond arbitrage. Really interesting there, CSH, something that we will be watching. Going back to the macro stock markets, Mark, I asked a guest at the top of the show if at some point it's going to sound a little weird. We need to start planning for a possible recession. You obviously think the Federal Reserve is going to be a little more dovish going forward this year. You're out by yourself on that, which we always, by the way, uh, appreciate. You've been right a lot more than you have been wrong. Uh, how cautious do we need to be the rest of the year? Because here's the bottom line. The markets have doubled in five years. We've made a lot of money and it looked really, really easy. It's going to be a lot harder, I think, to make money and look smarter going forward. Brian, that's why everyone needs to get up and, and watch this show. Your, your insights are our next level. And, and that's exactly what we have to worry about in that, you know, GDP growth around the world has been slowing. Looks like Germany uh, had negative GDP growth in the fourth quarter. ECB is, is slowing down. Japan's already back to flat. Uh, I think U.S. growth in the first quarter is going to be very underwhelming. And it's because the stimulus that, you know, happened in 2020 is basically faded. And now we've got to function on our own. And the problem is 
productivity and working age population growth. Uh, working age population growth is sub 1%. Productivity is around 1%. That means GDP growth is going to trend back to 2%. It's going to be very, very hard for the Fed to achieve its goals of inflation. That'll be transitory as oil prices and used car prices kind of fade away and the base effects dissipate. So I think it's going to be a very challenging environment. And you're right, we could be on the verge of re-entering recession. Maybe we never left recession and we just had a little stimulus high uh, over the period when the Fed was juicing the markets. Or, or a big one. And uh, the compliments are, are uh, with thanks, Mark. I appreciate that. It made me blush a little bit here. I have to put on some more makeup in the commercial break, but we we'll appreciate your views, certainly as always. By the way, it's not just early, Mark. We've got viewers all around the world. Dustin, a guy in Australia says hi. He's watching down in Land Oz. Mark Yusko, appreciate it, my friend. Thank you very awesome. much. All right. Mark's an Oklahoma guy, I believe, or has family there. And you know about the Oklahoma land rush of 1889, but how about the great metaverse rush of 2022? Robert Frank, maybe put on a cowboy hat. Tell us all about it. Coming up next, future slightly down. We're back right after this. All right, welcome back. Well, we talk about real estate all the time here on CNBC, but things are about to get even more interesting because we're going to really have two worlds out there, and I don't mean red or blue. Robert Frank joining us with a look at Land Rush that is going on in the metaverse. Good morning, Brian. Well, Facebook's meta rebranding has kicked off a new Land Rush in the metaverse. Sales of land on the major metaverse platforms topped $500 million last year, most of that in the fourth quarter right after that Facebook announcement. Monthly sales went from $15 million to $133 million in November. Sales in January were at over $86 million. Now, when it comes to investing in virtual land, there are four big platforms right now. Sandbox, by far the biggest, with about three-quarters of the market. Decentraland, and then you've got CryptoVoxels and Somnium. Now, dozens of other metaverse startups are all vying to become the next Manhattan or Monaco of the metaverse when it comes to land. The most expensive sale so far is a collection of parcels in the sandbox that went for $4.3 million. And then tokens.com, they're the Canadian firm. They just paid over $2 million for a plot in Decentraland's fashion district. They're leasing that space to big apparel and luxury brands for a big fashion show coming up. Now, just as in the real world, Meta real estate is all about location, Brian. You've got prices near Decentraland's Dragon City, Vegas City, and the Red Light District, the most expensive. Now, in the sandbox, Snoop Dogg is the big attraction. Land near Snoop's upcoming mansion just sold for over a half million dollars. Atari, also a big draw. A collection of parcels near the Atari development selling for $843,000. So, Brian, our avatars can play a game of Pong when that Atari development finally opens. I got a lot of, this segment could be two hours long. You, you know, it, that's not going to happen. I wish it was. I was on the sand. I'm trying to figure this out. The only way to do it is to just do it and try to, you need to have a crypto wallet, as I've learned. Um, what do you do in these worlds there? Okay, I've never entered the world. I've looked at the map to try to understand it. If I bought up a, a house in Decentraland, what am I doing? Just walking around, like looking like a Roblox character, like waving to people? What exactly is going on there? What's happening in the red light yeah, district? For now, 
<laughs> For now, there's just not a lot to do. What's what's going on now is people are buying land. They're making plans to create casinos, museums, concert spaces, conference centers. So basically trying to figure out what gathering places or what features they could design to bring the most people. And, you know, when it comes to the most expensive sort of island so far right now, the people are building villas so they can invite people to their villas, show off their NFTs on their walls that they may have purchased already of their bored apes, whatever they may have bought. So right now, people are still trying to figure out what you're actually going to do. They're thinking it may re- revolve around concerts, again, things where people can gather in the virtual space. And right now, the land is really yeah. just a land grab to then later figure out what to build. But they're trying to build it fast so they will come. It's like Field of Dreams metaverse. That's it, right. They, you got to get scale quickly so people go there because, as Yogi Berra said, nobody goes there anymore. It's too crowded. Robert too crowded. Frank. Exactly. <laughs> it's too early to talk about the metaverse, man. My, my brain is like, thank you. All right, Robert. All right, coming up, what may be the most important piece of economic data this week, and it may not be Friday's jobs number. Huh. Plus, while the Reddit Rebellion is cooling off and where retail traders and the apes are going now. Stick around. Time for today's RBI. Today, let's talk about jobs. Lots of jobs. Jobs everywhere. And apparently, nobody to fill them. Friday's monthly payroll number gets all the love. But at 10 a.m. today, what I think is a more important piece of data rolls out. The Job Openings and Labor Turnover Survey. Thankfully, better known as JOLTS. It shows how many jobs that are open in America and how many people are either quitting or being laid off. It's a big tell, and it may be telling us a lot right now. Like, as of the latest date at the end of November, there are currently 10.6 million help-wanted signs across America. More than 10.5 million open jobs right now. And those jobs cut across nearly every industry in America. But if you're one of the few million people quitting your job recently to find greener pastures, here's where the biggest jumps in job openings happened from November of last year or 2020 to 2021. Healthcare, 46% jump in healthcare job openings. We need those. Please take them. Manufacturing, 66% jump there. Leisure and hospitality, we know that. There's a 72% increase in help wanted signs there. Apparently, Nobody wants to be in insurance right now because job openings and insurance rose nearly 90%. But the industry that needs the most help right now is trucking and transportation, where the number of jobs that need filling have nearly doubled year over year, 90%. By the way, thank you to all the truckers out there, grinded, maybe listening right now. We need you, and we realize that now. So why mention this job stuff ahead of Friday? Because it seems possible that America may be getting close to full employment. If we can't fill 10 million jobs or even a couple million of those with companies hopefully raising their wages, their benefits, and their salaries, how exactly does the American economy grow? Well, it won't. And unemployment will stay where it is for a long time. The JOLT survey out at 10 a.m. Watch it. Dig into the numbers. Random, but interesting. All right, well, certainly the broader stock markets have been volatile lately, but for individual equities, it is nothing compared to this time last year when the Wall Street bets crowd started to short individual stocks, play with options, and just change the market. But that Reddit crowd may have lost its cool factor a little bit this year. Let's bring in 
Gunjan Banerjee, a reporter at the Wall Street Journal and a CNBC contributor with a fascinating recent piece on how Gunjan, is it fair to say that the Reddit's not over, Wall Street bets is there, but the vibe has changed, the people that are on there may have changed, and it's gotten, dare I say, a little more normalized now. That's right, Brian. I mean, I think the most striking thing to me is that, well, one, it's been a year since that initial GameStop frenzy started. Um, but I think for all the viewers out there who may not be logging on to Wall Street bets every day, what they should know is that it looks very little like what it did before the mania in GameStop shares. A lot of the veteran users of that forum were telling me, hey, some of that initial thrill uh, that Wall Street bets used to have is gone. They're saying, you know, I'm not logging on every single morning and not refreshing the page throughout the day. And I'm not able to find um, kind of the diamonds in the rough that I used to be able to find, like GameStop and AMC, before, you know, millions and millions of users entered the forum. Yeah, so you listed in your piece, by the way, a great piece, by the way, the, the, the ones that are the top mentioned on those boards. You're welcome. And, of course, GameStop and AMC are up there. You've also got a BlackBerry. I was a little surprised to see Apple there are some newer names, context logic, of course, cannabis is hot, Tilray. But to your point overall, it does appear like this kind of the same 10 stocks that were the apes were in love with a year ago, they're kind of still in love with or still in love talking about. I mean, that's the crazy thing. And I think that's one thing separating kind of the veteran Wall Street bets users from some of the newer traders who do seem to be drawn to GameStop and AMC. They saw these stocks skyrocket over the past year, and, and they were looking to ride that momentum. Whereas a lot of other people are like, hey, we don't want to talk about GameStop and AMC anymore. Of course, those stocks are up quite a bit over the past year. And um, even though they've fallen a lot this year, down at least 20, 25%, you know, GameStop did see that big jump yesterday. So, you know, it's unclear what's going to happen to these two meme stocks uh, a year later. All right, there's no, let's just, you, this is between you and I. No one else is listening, Gunja, because it's a sensitive topic. All right, we know that, you know, those crowds like to knock what we do. Probably more me than you, right? Like financial TV, forget about it. You know, Wall Street Journal, who? Guess what? People are still coming. And I do wonder if you've talked to some of these folks, because they may knock kind of what we do as being too typical, if you will. But if you look through the boards, there sure are a lot of mentions of the Wall Street Journal, of CNBC. Where else are these are these Redditors sort of getting their information going then? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely this anti-establishment sentiment. And, and what's striking to me is in a lot of my conversations with these investors, it's it's pretty wild how much how much research they've done uh, through online message boards and through other forums. A lot of them have gone, you know, on Twitter. They're finding chat rooms on Discord. Some of them have gone to other groups um, on Reddit outside of Wall Street Bets. And I think, yes, Wall Street Bets exploded to more than 11 million users from fewer than 2 million last year. But there's just been an explosion of, you know, forums online where you can trade stock tips, option tips, and, and learn about this stuff. So some, some users I spoke to said, hey, I'm going to Superstock instead of Wall Street Bets. Gunjan Banerjee, great piece there. And I think what we've established, Gunjan, we're still relevant. We're still relevant. <laughs> Gunjan, thank you very much. <laughs> thank you. You have a great day. Really appreciate that. All right. Well, that does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. We have got a lot more to do. By the way, the OPEC meeting is tomorrow, so we'll see you on the show. We'll talk about OPEC. 
That's tomorrow, though. Right now, Squawk and the gang picking everything up. Have a great Tuesday. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.